Your body is unique. So why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com and register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. You know, this episode, we're not doing our usual thing of taking a joke and asking the guests how they did it and why it's important to them, blah, blah, blah. But what we are doing is a tradition. Uh, Every December, by which I mean two Decembers in a row now, I invite Vulture critic Catherine Van Arendonk on to talk through her list of the best comedy specials of the year. Uh, You know, I should note, Catherine and I, though we do talk about comedy all the time, as she uh, is the person who reviews specials for Vulture, you know, the authorship of the list is hers. This is her list. Though, I don't think my list, uh, if I were to do one, would be vastly different. I, I need to note two things, two criteria Catherine decided on for the list. One, for special to be included, it had a focus on one comedian, which means a, a special like Colin Quinn's, which featured a showcase of a bunch of comedians, was not considered. Second, the the special needed to be around an hour long, uh, which is notable because it disqualified Dave Chappelle's now legendary 846. And that's it. I, I just love talking to Catherine. Man, I, you know, I miss going to the office and just saying what's up. And anyway, um, so here is Catherine Van Arendonk. So I am here with Vulture Critic, Catherine Van Arendonk. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. So we're going to talk about your list of the best specials of the year. I almost said stand-up specials, but that is not exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about comedy specials. So I want to start here, which was having done this now another year, having done this list, um, what did you find was your sort of operating principle? What was your value system of what you were seeing yourself gravitate to or just what you felt like you should be awarding? Yeah. So when I did this last year, I was stumbling around in the dark, which I don't necessarily think is a terrible critical perspective to have. Um, But but I had I sort of came to a list and was like, okay, these are the things that I am growing to feel and care about and value and whatever. And then this year it turned out that like the entire world turned inside out. Mm-hmm. And so 
I think in all mediums, there were things that like, oh, the things that I thought that I valued turns out I can't make myself care about right now. Um, like what? Well, I wrote a piece for um, the magazine earlier this year about peak comfort in TV. Mm-hmm. And I saw in TV this year this thing where a thing that like a lot of us I think had already been moving to and TV had already been going in the direction of this desire to like I do not care about like dark gritty prestige dramas I cannot handle them all I want is like things that make me feel nice Um, and I'm not saying that it was like that was not reflected in my comedy list like the the uh, spoiler I put Marin at number one and that (laughs) no I've spoiled it um But that was – that is certainly not a special that you watch and you're like, I want to feel soothed about the world. Like, that is not what's happening here. But it was – it was a, a way of valuing something that I was looking for in comedy that I am not – I can't be sure I would necessarily have valued the same way in a different moment mm-hmm. in time. Um, and I kept coming back to – comedy that was maybe more like i don't want to say topical um because i don't i don't you know trump jokes often don't work super often super yeah. topicality politicsy stuff doesn't work yeah i'm trying to think if there's a trump joke in any of these specials yeah. explicitly i don't i can't think of any but it was harder for me to divorce the rest of the world yeah. from what i was from how I was responding to stuff, then I think it it might have been in a different moment in time. That makes sense. I think it's, I think there's a desire people have with lists that they are um, objective. There's Mm. people who just want, they, they think their opinion is objectively correct and they want to read lists that are also claiming to be objective and then affirming their opinion. Yes. And, and I think that is always a fallacy. I think lists are never going to be good at that because yes. that's not what they are. I think they are very good at um, seeing the value system of the writer and as as a writer, as a way of seeing your own value system. Um, but I do. And I so I think that idea of like, I'm going to do a list and it's not going to acknowledge the present <laughs> is um, one impossible based on what lists actually are which are a reflection of your value system in the year that happened and also antithetical to um what comedy is or one of the things that i think is fundamental to comedy which is comedy is a very time sensitive medium comedy exists in a a very um tight relationship to to time it's why it does not age in the way that music does Mm. like i'm getting really into paul mccartney's solo music and I can listen to that now and be like, this kind of sounds somewhat modern in, in mm. many ways, some of the earlier stuff. But like, I'm at the same time, I've been reading George Carlin's autobiography and like none of those things work as comedy. Like it's interesting and it's it's useful to see comedy is useful to be like, oh, I'm hearing him talk about this in 1975. This gives me a sense of what 1975 was like and what 1975 found funny. But it's not, it it doesn't work that way. And I think it's completely reasonable in any year, regardless of the fact that this is so clearly an extraordinary year. Sure. To be like, I want to make sure it topical in so much it feels like it's it's now. It's this year's list, which is what definitively is the only criteria of the list. 
Yeah, yes. But I think there's, I mean, there's sort of two different ways of thinking about um, time sensitivity. One is explicit time sensitivity, yeah. where it's like, we live in this moment right now. This is what the world looks like. I'm talking about current politics. I am talking about like recent events. I am talking about um, a, a front page headline kind of a kind of a joke. But there's also a um, a currency of sensibility, which is mm -hmm. maybe a little more of an abstract idea, but a little uh, bit more of an abstract <laughs> idea. <laughs> but um, but. My what I was looking for in some kinds of media in like fictional storytelling mediums, mm -hmm. I was I was often looking for like silly escapism. Yeah, and silly escapism was not a to a tone or a mood that I was gravitating toward. And yeah, it's it's that that it's because in comedy because like silly escapism was not um it was not the topical to what was happening in the world, but it also was just not like I was not able to resonate like mm. no nothing in my brain felt open to like let's just joke about like just the goofiest like slapstickiest yeah. kinds of things right now um the so mime saying, special for instance yeah, i could yeah. not All deal right. with the mime special i mean i so, liked it but it was yeah we'll transition then into our honorable mentions um which so there's this mime special um tom walker's very very uh aka the mime special which I, I don't I didn't do a list and it's it's pointless for me to be like oh if I did a list because like it's not pointless I'm well, always it's pointless to me because I believe a list is in like it is a structure like mm. I I I I I feel like I'm full galaxy brain on the idea of list love it where it's so it's like to me a list is a piece and you can't take things out of the piece so in, unless I conceived of the piece and like decided what was one. And what was six? I can't be like, oh, this would be in the list because I have I have not put into thought what I would value. Um, but but things that were not on your list that I maybe would have was one was the Tom Walker's very very special, which was mimes. We'll go through it. quickly. He he did mime. He did elevated mime. I had not really seen that before, or I guess since. And it's nice. Um, I also might have included Eddie Pepitone's for mm. the masses, mm -hmm. and it's partly because how he opens that special. I will never forget. Like to me, it's like the comedic moment of the year. Hmm. It's many ways like Mark Maron's special, but he he starts his special and he just starts yelling, "I'm on Molly," <laughs> screaming it in his, and it's just like such a um, destabilizing, disorienting, um, disorienting yeah. moment. And you're like, "That's exactly it." <laughs> um, and then I probably, or I might have included Jerry Seinfeld's um, "23 Hours to Kill," and we've talked about this nine million times on, on mics and off mics, but. Um, I think there were not that many specials this year compared to previous years. And I probably would have been like, there was a lot of things that had check marks against it, which this special does. But I do think um, it is uh, at its peak. It's a most successfully articulated vision by a person who's very clear about what his vision is. Mm -hmm. And, um, which does not mean it would fit into a list, but I think I, I think it's notable because like Jerry is a master craftsman and he and you see that in the special. You see things that are less so, but you ultimately do see that. And I think ultimately it would be like, that is a notable thing for me, so I would have noted sure. it. Sure. What were things that didn't make the list that um were honorable mentions? 
Um, well, one of them was um, Sam J's Three in the Morning. That was on my honorable mentions, and that was one that I did really wrestle with about whether it was going to be on the list, and if so, where, and all those sorts of things. Um, it was – I mean, when we're talking about topicality and, like, comedy versus the now, mm. that is a special that is extremely – I mean, she just she just picks this slew of – really you know this uh, a Greta Thunberg joke and mm. colonizer jokes and um is very much about um and there are like trans jokes and there are a lot of sort of what like what are we what are the third rail I'm gonna try to find every yeah. third rail that I can grab and there are ways that that special regularly throughout it I found myself thinking like this is just so well made it is so exquisitely written mm -hmm. but I also the the pieces of it felt stronger to me like some pieces worked some pieces did not and as a whole I couldn't it didn't really sit mm -hmm. as a as a complete hour in the way that a lot of these the ones that were on the list ultimately did for me um but that is a that was a, a one that really felt like a really important part of this comedy year that yeah. belongs deserves to be recognized. Yeah, yeah, I probably would have put it on my list if I did list, but I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's um it's it's hard to say because I do think um if you looking at your list as we're about to get into, there is a sort of like focus that each person has. Like there isn't necessarily yeah. a stylistic consistency. But there is an interest stylistic consistency to the people that are there. Yep. Um, which I think Sam was more ambitious. I think Sam's is closest to Marin's of like, I'm going to display a lot of different types of things. And I think Stern thinks she's stronger at that than others. So I, yeah. I think that makes sense. But I, I don't, it's hard to know, but I, I probably would have included. Anyway, um, so let's go into it. We're going to do in. I don't know if you'd call it descending or ascending because it's like it's descending numbers wise, but it is like, I don't know. Let's say it's descending. <laughs> order. Um, so coming in at number 10, number 10, Quarter Life Crisis by Taylor Tomlinson released on Netflix.com. Yes. Why? Um, this is, well, so I feel like the year was split in in two parts right there was mm. like stuff that was made before and or and or released before and then stuff that was released or like made after yeah. um and so there are there are shows on this list from both halves of that and this is a before this is a clearly before kind yeah. of a thing um but it was one that continued to feel like, if I say it this way, it's going to sound like, ugh, I could barely handle anything. But, like, it continued as a mood. It continued to feel, like, just palatable to me. Like, it, like mm -hmm. the, the, the kind of um, her, her just really wry, like, pivoting between bleak and silly and um, toggling back and forth tone was something that i found as the year went on even more 
like it struck me as as right now as sort of what comedy felt like how it how it worked this year um it is also a kind just a style that i gravitate to it is she's so fast and just dense Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I think that that one was I I remember the first time I watched it thinking like, oh, these are, you know, like I enjoy a lot of what this is. And then the longer I lived with it, the more I started to feel um, her joke writing style is that it feels like these little small segments and it becomes harder to see because it is so dense and fast. Mm-hmm. It, you don't really see the big arcs of how she is building it until you step away from it a little bit. And that's always a form that I gravitate to. Probably also because it is I am who I am. And <laughs> she does a lot of jokes about uh, like imagining having kids later mm-hmm. and what that will be like. And, and it is a a area of thinking about the world that is always fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I've, it is a special that I, I really like and I, I like Taylor a lot. And the thing that I always think about is like, well, she, she's young. I mean, like lots of comedians are yeah. young, but like it felt like she really was able to capture being young, but with distance from it in a way that I think a lot of young people don't. I think a lot of young people, you're just like, their comedy is young and it is it. And I could sort of draw the lines of like, this is what it's like being young. And I think Taylor's like, this is like what it's like being young. And I am young. So it, it it's like the the comparison I always make is that it, it's like girls, right? It's like yeah, Lena Dunn was able to write about being 24 at 24 in a way that is it, people keep on trying to do. And you're ultimately like, oh, I guess it's much harder than it seemed. <laughs> But the thing that so the thing that I um recently realized was uh Taylor Thompson is like very famous on TikTok. Mm-hmm. She has like over 800,000 followers on TikTok. And there's like lots of people we think of as TikTok comedians and they have like a couple hundred thousand. Like she has more than Sarah Cooper and like Sarah Cooper to a person before who was on TikTok I was like, "Oh, I guess Sarah Cooper's like the biggest thing." But like Taylor Thompson is like giant. And I bring this up to be like Young people also like this. Like, I was nervous that it was, like, young people comedy for people who are just now over that hill. Mm -hmm. But it's like, oh, it's a comedy by, like, a 26-year-old by four people who are, like, 32. And it's like, so it's... But no, like, this is young people find it relevant. Her jokes are lip-sync by younger people than she. Um, And I think that speaks to just something special that people can have as a point of view, which is really capturing what it's like to be a certain sort of person in a way that one speaks to a lot of people like that's true to my experience, but also can speak to a lot of different people like I am not that anymore, but I, I now have what I feel like is a true sense of what it's like to be 25 right now, 26 right now, or what it would be like if I was 25 or 26 Mm. right now. And in so much as comedy is like a little bit of like reporting from the the streets or the road like she is very good at communicating what the audience is telling her is correct about being 25 and 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 that is notable and it is undeniably she succeeds at that i mean like it's I remember she was pitched through the podcast before I knew who she was. And I watched one joke. And I'm like, I think there's something there. I don't know, remember what it was, but I'm like, she has whatever it is in terms of point of view. And then like you watch especially like there is a clarity of point of view yeah. that is so rare, period. It's really rare for a comedian 
this young and it's and it's partly because she's been doing comedy for 10 years before she's by the time she's 25 but still it is a thing that everyone's chasing which is like what's your point of view what is your like persona ultimately and she has that so clear um that it makes sense for it to be on here yeah it makes um having a a sense of persona and clarity of point of view helps so much with the kind of jokes that are like this is what all 25 year olds are like right it's that same thing where you're that age but you're distant from it it is this is all people but also this is just very specifically me and being able to do both sides of that and make both sides of them feel equally real and true is just a real it's unusual and it's why it works so well do you have a favorite um joker moment that you come back to um, I, there is a st- there is a stretch in there um, about <laughs> about getting lingerie shipped to herself um, and her father discovering the box that I find uh, that for whatever reason, that's the image that sticks in my mind because she's so good at remembering her own childhood and mm-hmm. then also thinking forward to like what it would be like to be a parent and kind of straddling both sides of that. Yeah. My younger sister's in college. She had lingerie delivered to my parents' house once because she's an idiot with an Amazon Prime account. And my dad opened the box because he's a middle-aged man who pays a mortgage. And if a box comes to his house... (laughs) That's his box. Moving on. Number nine. Douglas. Hannah Gatsby. (laughs) Netflix.com. Why? Why? Um, This was a real, this was a challenge, right? Like you have Nanette, what do you do now? And a lot of the special is like, I had Nanette, what do I do now? Yeah. Uh, And it's very difficult to make the kind of meta commentary that Gadsby loves also be legitimately funny in the way that comedy should be if it is Mm -hmm. working um and it sometimes it almost always actually succeeds in this for me which is a huge challenge yeah yeah that meta stuff where you're like this is the joke that i'm going to tell and when you hear it it is going to go like this and you will know that i was going to tell you that joke to make it actually work when it pays off she has and it is something to do it's it's incredibly, it's thoroughly, like, exhaustively written. Yeah. But I think I hadn't thought as much in Nanette about how much of it is also her stage presence and the yeah. way she actually performs it. And that was much much more obvious to me in Douglas. And, um, yeah, so it was just the the sheer like obstacle difficulty of of getting moving on to a second one after Nanette but then also making such a um like a surprisingly successful and legitimately entertaining mm-hmm. second piece that that manages to accomplish all the stuff that she's doing here yeah yeah i mean she she had a goal and she achieved that which one a lot of comedians don't necessarily go into the specials with clear goals i love a fine, goal which yeah. is fine i mean like it's clear you do and that's cool i think i do as well but and so it's, it doesn't mean that all comedians must it's just sort of some comedians do and when they yeah. succeed at that that is useful um 
a lot of comedians I know were really impressed by that beginning thing where she calls what's going to happen. The comedians of different stripes, I like on the record, off the record, were like, that was really cool, and a lot of people were jealous of it. That bit, right? So that's how it's going to start. Bit of observational comedy. Then what I'm going to do is I am going to tell you a story about a curious incident that took place in the dog park in the daytime. Oh. Now, it's a fun story, it's a fun story, and, and throughout that story I will touch on, with consent, most of the major themes of the show, so watch out for those. And it will also include a fair dose and uh, what I call a gentle and very good-natured needling of the patriarchy. So that is in there. So it's very important. It's very important that you expect that, because it is there, and if that's not your thing, Leave. I've given you plenty of warning. Just go. Off your pop man flakes. At you go. Go on with you. And I think the thing that I, I, I can't thinking about it, I'm like, she really comes off as a comedian in, mm. in a way that I think a lot of she people just knew Nanette. It's like a really weird phenomenon to happen where someone has been doing comedy successfully for like over a decade. She was a famous person in Australia. She wasn't like a working. She was a television star and like a, she was selling out theaters, you know, like she was a big comedian in Australia. And the special in many Nanette is for people who knew her career made sense. Like it obviously was a right turn, but it was like the culmination of certain things. But to just meet Nanette is like wild. Yeah. She's like, this person's not even comedian and and she doesn't have the same everything is radical and you watch douglas and you're like it makes nanette seem better because you're now realizing like oh she is able to have discrete ideas of what each show is and 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 make those shows what it is but you're also like she's so cocky in it in a way that comedians are that i i don't know if i am always like comedians must be cocky but it is a thing that is um refreshing when you have nanette which I think she does not love to take credit for it in certain ways, which I think is fair. I think she understands that comedy is is partly about the comedian, partly about the moment. But um, there was a certain amount of like, this is the show I'm doing and fuck you. Like, it, yeah. it's like it was very punk rock. And I think certain people interpreted it incorrectly, which was like, this is the only thing she could have done. And like this wasn't actually an intentional work of someone not doing, not being funny. It was the work of someone who um, can be funny and was like, I'm not doing it for this reason. And so you watch Douglas and you're like, oh, like she can do. She has all these different moves that she can do. She can do. There's parts I didn't love, I think. And I think it's partly also like slideshows are hard on filmed. Mm. Because just sort of you're watching a flat image and you're just scrolling it and you yeah. don't have that same sense of proportion of looking her looking at her do it and back and forth in yeah, the same yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but it it um I I just sort of love that her specials are names. I hope her specials continue to be names. <laughs> because I think there's just something about it. It really captures it, that this thing is a living organism that yeah. is beyond her. Yeah. Um and for that for that I am thankful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's right. I think um I mean, it speaks again to like the thing that I like about it, which is like, this is an hour. It has an identity. This is, yep. it is uh, a whole thing. Maybe some parts of it don't work. Maybe some parts of it feel stronger than others, but it is meant to be a whole project that is synthesized together. Yeah. Um, yeah. To make specials feel like more than just we're checking in on my material and my life to this date. And I, I and this is not 
a knock in any American comedian. A lot of American comedians are on this list and do it quite well. I think Patton Oswalt is a comedian who's like, you're going to keep on checking in in my life and I'm a great comedian. So my special is going to be great because it's going to be made up of my material. And I think that's completely valid. It just sort of, you do have an opportunity, especially right now where specials are being filmed, where you can hire directors that you can do a singular piece that might be better than everything else you do. Like, and I think it's more natural for people in the UK and in Australia because they come up from shows, but I do think, a lot of American comedians are starting to realize this is possible and as a result are are dipping their toes in such things. And I think you see that throughout the list. So that's what this is. I mean, like she had an idea what the, what the show was. She had an idea of the structure and why it was different. I don't know what her next special will be like. And that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So number eight, Time Machine, Leslie Jones, Netflix.com. <laughs> So I was on the wall, I was thinking, how am I out hold these hoes? <laughs> then they played my favorite song. Prince, get off. I was like, oh, okay. All right, so I know how I'm out hold these hoes. Kick my shoes off, I was like. This is a quintessential from the before times type of entry. Uh, And I thought about it a lot as I was sort of thinking about the list and putting it together because it is as a special explicitly about like, I, this is what I was like at an earlier moment in my Mm. life. This is what I am like now. This is what it's going to look like in the future. It's many ways. It's one joke. Yeah. Absolutely. It's one theme. This is what it's like. 20-year-olds are like this. 40-year-olds are like this. And it's just one theme, and she's just riffing on that in different sub-themes. Sure. Yeah. Yes. It is also the most explicitly silly, I think, Uh of... Most of the lit, you know, and when I when I was looking at, it's the most like physical. It's the most yeah. that requires her um, to just make goofy faces and do an incredibly goofy dance, and like that is at the core of why this is as like effective as it is in a way that the rest of the list just is very very different. Um, the thing that I found myself coming to again and again about this particular special and like why the silliness really works for me is that buried inside how goofy it is it's just so unbelievably poignant to me Mm -hmm. to watch her sort of force her body to go back in time and like be this self from this completely different world she does not feel she is not making fun of that person even though that person is explicitly ridiculous and there is this like she's so proud to be as old as she is now and like where she is now but there is also this like wistfulness for just the insane amount of energy that that young person had and yet and like so much of her comic identity now is like, I am still, I still am just this cannon of energy. Um, but she just feels to me like she's, uh, 
embodying and like playing with and that moment in the middle of the dance where she stops and just is exhausted is one that I have thought about a lot. Uh, Yeah. So that is why this is on this list. The thing I think about Leslie Jones is I feel like there's a type of person who thinks they know what good comedy is, who thinks Leslie Jones is not good. Hmm. And And it is because what they value and i think they it's what they understand of like oh good joke writing is about certain turns of phrases or certain sort of signifiers of goodness or signifiers of intelligence or signifiers of whatever like this sort of like verbal driven comedy must be better Mm. because we are an evolved species and we talk and so as a result comedy should be ultimately a testament to that because talking is closer to books and books physicality is, <laughs> is like juvenile yes right? exactly yeah. yes and like that's how what kids find funny and we're grown-ups yeah and um it's it's naive like i can't say it's stupid because who knows but it's just naive to like um one it's always naive to say good comedy is only one thing like ultimately it's like how you execute and who you are and i think leslie has always been ferociously being like all of that all that's high-minded shit, like, it can be good. She's not against it. It's just, like, ultimately, like, it's a waste of time when you know how to just be funny and you yeah. know what to yourself is funny. Like, there's an incredible competence and clarity of vision to sort of go back to that of, I, like, she can talk, she can describe what it was like to dance and maybe she can use a metaphor to whatever, but it's not going to be funnier than watching her dance. And, and, mm-hmm. and, there, there are not that many physical comedians out there, period. Because one, um, it's hard to do really, really well. And also, and actually hard to do physically really well. Like it's actually exhausting. And um, as you get older, it's like actually hard on your body to like fly around. But it's a thing that comedians, if you talk to comedians, they talk about all the time. Like hmm. they are more jealous of Leslie Jones than they are that like Hannah Gatsby was able to model her special after a fugue or whatever she told me, which I think is really cool. But like they like I wish I, they wish they could be Leslie Jones. They wish they could be Sebastian Maniscalco. They wish they, they can be on stage and be free, like truly be in the moment. And it's a hard thing to capture on film is someone really being in the moment because ultimately you're not in that moment. It takes someone with a, the amount of charisma that Leslie has. And like if she if you buy into it, it's it's an incredible thing to watch. Yeah, there's a tiny detail in this special which really stuck on me when I was watching it the first time, which is I mean, it's directed by um the people who did Game of Thrones. And because a variety of people said no. I can't remember who said no, but she she literally <laughs> just like had a list. <laughs> and they clearly did it. Um, you know, it's like most specials um, edited together from multiple performances. Mm. And in one of those performances, one of her eyelashes comes off. And so you can see in oh, halfway wow. through. So you can see in the takes in some of them, she'll go from having two falsies to only one falsy, Right. And I remember watching it and thinking, well, a director should have thought about this. But also, it just, I have, like, as a testament to just the sheer amazing physical feat 
of mm. that show as just like her standing there covered in sweat with like one eyelash off um, is to me like aside from that moment where she stops dancing and just stares at the audience like can you believe this that's that is always what I picture when I think of the special that's that I, I did not notice that and that's that is very fun to see um, JJ Abrams and Steven Spielberg were the first two people she asked oh <laughs> Moving on. Number seven. I love everything. Patton Oswald, Netflix. Yeah. So it is just it is just a series of stories where Patton Oswald does the same thing again and again. And every time he does it in a way that I don't see coming, even though it is exactly the same move. And every time I am impressed anyhow, which is that he takes an incredibly boring, mundane experience that he lays out as the most boring, mundane experience of anyone's life. And then he finds a pit of terrifying blackness in it. Mm -hmm. And he just lives there for a while and uncovers like deeper and deeper layers of like why this funny, horrifying version of this mundane thing exists. Um, and each one of those little stories, uh, there is, he, he opens with one about cereal. There is one about, um, being a wedding DJ, there is one where he sort of imagines the private lives of contractors who work on his house. And then the last one, which is sort of the big set piece and like the impress like the the most impressive from a writing standpoint, is this Denny's thing where he creates characters for all of the Denny's Grand Slam cartoons um and each one is like sadder and, and more depressing than the last. The bacon is the pancake's dad. He's not married to the fried egg. He doesn't hate her. They're just not married, and the, the economy, it's all post-capitalism. Everything's collapsing. He has to go wherever the work is. So he's like, I got a job on an oil rig for eight months. It's high-risk pay. I'll send back whatever I can. They're going to take a big chunk out of my room and board, you know, but just do what you can while I'm gone to raise the kid. Okay, do what you can. When he says that to her, do what you can, he knows she's hooking all right? And he's not judging her, okay? They're, they're all struggling. It is, again, this, like, repetition of form that yeah. could so easily be boring. And yet he is just so great with a little tiny telling detail and finds this just bleak, sad. He's so fascinated by the idea that other people have lives that you can't see, Right. Yes. And and yeah, it, it was something that I um I was just really incredibly impressed by the um the way that he manages to find those every time. I think what it reflects in an, an interesting way and I think this is sort of the the fundamental dichotomy of Padden which is I think what you're describing fundamentally captures what is unique or special about Padden which is he you're describing these things that he finds this dark element in it. And that is an exercise that he's able to do out of love and joy or a fascination. Like he, he, it is an interest. It creates a sort of interesting paradox or um, yeah, where it's like he, he loves these things that he's sort of hating and, and he sort of is caught up in, how interested in this thing is and and 
so though it's like he's going i have a, it's now a visual under i'm going to try to explain my image in my head he's like going down right so it's mm-hmm. like going down into the darkness of this thing but he's like skipping on his way there yes he's like can't wait to jump and he's and that creates a richer set of experiences than i think you often are getting in a lot of stand-up who either is I'm happy, my my material's happy, I'm a happy guy, which is completely reasonable, but I think ultimately is comes off more likely to be one note, or everything's bad, I'm grumpy, this is the act of a grumpy person, I'm sort of like lazy on stage, and that is also sort of like one note, regardless of it seeming more serious, and Patton is able to sort of bounce back and forth, which is with a mix of both sort of good structural writing of like, I'm going to write this piece and I understand the moves of it. And also like textual writing of like each sentence is going to feel thought through each sentence is going to feel cared for. They're just like, you know, I also like, I like the word play on words because the word play in it, like it truly is like you are playing with words. Yeah. And it is not a thing all comedians can do or like, or have as much fun doing, but it's clearly like language is so important to him. And because it's important to him, he conveys how much fun he's doing it. And that is a, it's a, you know, it's a gift to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Particularly in certain areas of culture right now, we think of fanish obsession as Mm -hmm. like a terrifying bad thing. And I do not want us to let go of that because in many cases it is a terrifying bad thing. But there is a way to take the the like fanish obsessiveness and to purposely refocus it and like control Mm. that ability to be delighted in things, but also know when to stop for the sake of it being a piece and not an obsession. Yeah. Um, And that is sort of that kind of control is what is on display in a special like this. The other thing I want to talk about is arguably the special is two specials. So the special is, it's called Pan Oswald's I Love Everything, which includes his hour of comedy. And it also includes another hour of comedy by this comedian, Bob Rubin, who um, was an influential alternative comedian from the time in which Pan Oswald came up. And I, I want to bring it up because it's it's an interesting thing to do. No yeah. one else has done that. And it's yeah. just sort of like a small thing to do and purposeful to do. Like, ultimately, Pan Oswald was given a budget for the special and he spent some of it to make this other thing. And I want you. I want to hear what you think about how that fits into what we think of as when we think of what this special is. Mm. Yeah. Well. So thematically, right? It fits like astonishingly well with what he is trying to do, which is mm. here is me. Here are the things that I am obsessed with, and then as soon as you're done with what is arguably a more accessible and like poppy and familiar and like everybody knows who Patton Oswald thing is special, you get funneled into this other thing with a guy that you likely have not heard of doing jokes and like with a demeanor that is not going to be quite as immediate. He's not in like a big like Mm -hmm. theater, you know, just everything about it feels like this is an indie alt kind of figure. Um, and I mean, aside from the fact that it f- is just generous and and fascinating to do and like a really interesting way to use your own clout to mm. funnel it in another direction, 
it, it's just amazing to me that it happens to also do formally the same thing that all yeah. of his jokes do. Like, it, yeah, it's 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 it, yeah. I think it's interesting to be like my my job as an artist who's is trying to communicate to the audience what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and what my vision is and my worldview. And for the most part, you do that by performing your art in whatever mm-hmm. way it is. And instinctually or intentionally, Patton realizes you're not going to get the full picture of what I'm doing if you don't also understand like the seeds of where I came from. And he, you know, he's done versions of that with like comedians of comedy because he'd, he'd have his sort of cohort and you'd be like, oh, these people are sort of doing different things. But now I think I understand Patton better because because he tours with Maria and Maria's doing this, you know, you have a better understanding of comedy and his comedy through it. But to see this person who is, um, so we're, so Pat, we're, we're, see this person who Pat is so clearly an evolution out of. Yeah. Um, I do think I understand Patton better. I think I always knew he was good. Like I knew what good was included in Patton Oswald, but I never understood as deeply what was sort of peculiar about him and what was strange about him beyond just being really good at stand-up. And I think that's often really hard to convey to people, which is like, what makes me good other than I'm being good? I think mm-hmm. that that is sometimes unspoken. And we, But that moment, I'm like, oh, I think I get Patton more. Because it, it's almost like Patton's like, I'm trying to do this, but ultimately I'm this guy, so it comes out like this. But knowing what he thinks is good, it's just, it's so fascinating. I yeah. wish, it was just like, I, I, and the fact that he, it's just a generous thing to do to this guy who like really would appreciate it. It's like yeah. a real win-win. Yeah, it really is. So number six, this is a, um, this is going to be, it is an interesting one for reasons we'll explain, which is uh, Miami Nights, Hannibal Burris, YouTube, currently. Well, he released it on YouTube, but I believe it's not on YouTube anymore. Hmm. So I don't know where it'll go next. Hopefully I don't die of asthma because I have that. Is mostly under control, but you know, it flares up every now. Asthma doesn't get a lot of respect out here though. As far as diseases go, asthma doesn't get cancer love in these streets. You don't see these commercials, merchandise, celeb endorsements, none of that. There's no asthma walks because everybody would have asthma attacks. Uh, and I only bring this up because I, I do think this maybe would have been my number one. And then you previously did not have it on a list. But now it's back and it's in the top It's six. back. It's back. So tell me your arc, uh, your journey with this special and how yeah. it ended up where it ended up. Right. Well, as we have previously diagnosed, I have a bias toward a thing being a full thing. Yeah. And when I watched that, like, it is so clear watching this that, like, the main point of it, the the centerpiece of it, the project of it is this unbelievable story that he tells sort of for most of the second half of it. Yeah. Which is about this time, which is the, the title. He's in my, he's like outside of Art Basil, <laughs> which is already a funny joke. And, yeah. um, and he gets arrested and it is just this and it becomes like a media story and so he is processing all of that the fact that he's there the fact that it becomes a media story the uh, like step-by-step tiktok of exactly how that night goes down and i watched that and i was 
I had a hard time understanding what the first half of the show mm. was doing. And and for that reason, it just didn't immediately leap forward to me as like a special as a whole rather than one really amazing joke. Yeah. Um, which is wrong to call it one joke, this like huge <laughs> yeah, thing. Like but like yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so that's why it was not here originally. And then, um, as I think is important, um, various people, mostly you, kept being like, "Why? What? What's going on with why you haven't? What's the deal?" So I watched it again, and I first of all, I decided I didn't care about the first half. Like, it, like it was fine yeah. that like it was if if that second half is good enough, then like okay, great. Um, but I I think also it just. It was a. <laughs> I could see the sort of seeds of, not from a thematic or like a um, idea standpoint, a writing standpoint of what that first half has to do with the second, but like the kinds of things that he finds funny, the like sense mm -hmm. of humor that you then see modulated into this much more, much longer story. I was seeing punctuated in the earlier jokes. Um, yeah, it it yeah. just took took a while to hit me. I just know so much about Hannibal in, in certain ways, and it was hard not to watch that in the context of already knowing certain things. And so how I always saw it, which was in many ways, it's like an out, it's out of order. It's time, it's uh, the timeline of the, the things he's talking about are out of order, but also just sort of like the first half is to me, things that have happened after what happens in the second half. So mm -hmm. he gets, which is, I know this as a sort of a fact, which is sort of, he gets arrested for, it's, it's, it's got, th it got thrown out. He is suing the city, but like he get, ostensibly gets arrested for public drunkenness or something. And, and yeah, disorderly and, conduct. Disorderly. And, yeah. and the, and, but as a result of that moment and the fallout of that, which is the, the press, he completely changes his life and his entire priorities and everything. He completely changes. Um, the other thing, which we dedicated a lot of our interview to, but is, is noted towards the end of specials, he, he was diagnosed with ADHD and that completely also made him realize like, oh, all these things I was doing were like ways of coping with, um, how my brain was working. So it's like, he talks about quitting drinking now, like to me that fits if you don't think of it like as specials work in order, but in terms of specials, the whole piece, and it's already, he talks a lot about death. And these are things that you're thinking about in, in this time period. So like it is, I know why you put the big thing at the end, because it's big and it's hard to then do a special otherwise where you're yeah. then going back and forth. And also like, it's hard to get your audience on board for 30 minutes without doing other stuff up first, mm. but it all, and it all felt tonally consistent in terms of where it came from where he was before it so and that's how i saw it originally which is sort right. of like i knew hannibal his last special which was funny but i think probably his least interesting of special and it's definitely sort of like kind of fun and it's not like philosophically cohesive and then like he takes a lot of years off i see him in between he seems different he's like moves back to chicago he starts doing a lot of charity work or whatever. And then you see this and you're like, oh, he's grown up. So like, I have this narrative that maybe is not necessarily clear <laughs> to a person, but I'm like, this is the special of like, I grew up and this is, this is me being grown up. I quit drinking. I'm thinking about dying. 
this is why I grew up. It, it's all mixed up. It's just sort yeah. of not as clear in order in a way that I think you tend to like. Yeah. Where I, because I already had the narrative going in, it was a lot easier for me to just be like, got it. This is the special that does this. And it's going to start with the, like it all already made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I think probably you get that more when you watch it again. And you're like, oh, I guess yeah, it's absolutely, sort of that way. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's completely correct. And I think... Yeah, there's always a tension between like whether this thing is complete in and of itself or whether it is actually a part of a narrative that yeah. people that your fans who are the people who you need to actually be caring about are going to understand it, even if some like random dilettante walks in and like, I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean, I think the other interesting thing about it, which uh which you I know about and sort of have been interested in as well is the fact that he keeps re-editing it or like messing with it. Yes, that he's open to it. I, it's yeah. hard to get a sense of how much he's done or not. But I know that part of the reason he wanted to do YouTube was he didn't like the offers he was getting. And also he has like freedom to just add things or take things out mm. or play with things. And the fact that he took it down right now, right? It's like currently not up. We don't know why. Yeah. And... I will add, like, even the idea that you're saying that is not yeah. how most people interact with their specials. Sure. 100%. Like, most people are like, I filmed it. It's gone. I have no relationship to it. He, like, yeah. was very hands-on with the edit. And, like, and he's willing to be like, this is a piece that I can play with, is already, yeah. like, not what most people do. Most people are like, I burn the material. I'm done with the special. I forget everything about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it's gone. It's gone forever. Yeah. Uh, it's the best. I love it. You're right. Number one. Let's reorganize your list. I, I honestly don't know if I would put number one because there's other things I might have. And we're getting to them soon enough, but not next. So <laughs> I'll be right back with more Catherine Van Arendong. Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. It's a weight management program that uses psychology and biology to help you develop healthy, sustainable habits. Noom believes that weight loss starts with the brain, and their daily lessons are tailored to help users understand the science behind food cravings and eating choices. Whether you want to lose weight, increase physical activity, meet a health goal, or simply change the way you think about food, Noom can help you build healthy habits while still enjoying your favorite foods. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Calling all female runners. It's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. 
The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. And we're back with Catherine Van Aerdock talking about the best specials of the year. At number five, zero F asterisk asterisk KS given. I'm assuming it's fucks. Mm-hmm. Um, given uh, by Kevin Hart for Netflix. Yeah. This is a an aftertimes one, one of the very few. Yeah. And I watched it. Um, it was one of the very last things I watched as I was putting this list together. And one of the things that struck me immediately about it, it is that it is incredibly sad. <laughs> like everything about it um, is... You know, I mean, it is, it's funny. It is a comedy show. He is yeah. funny. It, yes. I'm not saying that it is like not doing its job, obviously. Um, but every single one of these jokes, I think almost in a way that he's kind of trying to hide. Yeah is desperate and sad in a way that I found really fascinating and like effective as a w- as like in conversation with the meta narrative of what is happening with Kevin Hart in the last couple of years. Um, and I don't when I say that he maybe not is as intentionally sad and desperate as it came off. That's a little bit of a lie because he is so clearly incredibly thoughtful and aware of like what all of these jokes are doing Mm. he has constructed them all with extreme i mean talk about like obsessive focus um he is he's doing it all on purpose but it's like each of these jokes looks like an older like I the Kevin Hart special that I that I last watched was like Kevin Hart on top of a mountain, basically just being <laughs> oh, like, yeah. "Here I am." He's had a few mountaintop specials in a row. He had like three in a row where he's like, "I'm the king of comedy." Yeah, yes. And this one is, "I am the king of comedy, and it doesn't matter." And it, like, I'm mm-hmm. still actually a failure in a bunch of ways. And it just was so. Um, that was so much richer to me as an experience as a as a piece of writing but also as like a way of him being introspective and insightful about the world and himself in it that i was completely i was just very taken with it it is also um notably existing in this world where like he's in a very small space that is designed to look like his living room everyone is wearing masks around him he is wearing pajamas like everything about it is small and intimate and he deliberately portrays himself as a smaller person in the world and i was just so taken with that as the next move for him yeah Um, i wonder if he would have done a special like this anyway because i do think this is the type of special he should have done regardless because like you can't only do so many mountaintop specials in a row without it being like we get it like you're 
And it's interesting to see a comedian like him do a special like this because it's not his natural pacing. Mm. Like when Chappelle did the thing in the belly room of the store and it's small, you're like, get it. Like, makes sense. He can do those type of things. Where Kevin Hart is always huge. Like he's he's so naturally played the garden and he in football stadiums because he's just so naturally hugely funny. He's meant to be funny to so many people. He's meant to be the star of Jumanji and Jumanji three i don't know how the numbers work but he's so funny in those movies anyway that's unrelated he's just really so funny in those jumanji movies so it's interesting to see what he does what small looks like for him because he he has an instinct to share his truth that is good it's part of the reason that makes him not a, a bad comedian is that he always wants to do that and he wants to pull from his life the hard thing is like you get famous and your life is so unrelatable and and what he gets a little bit he doesn't what he can't do for a variety of reasons is he can't really indulge mm. um feeling bad for himself or conveying like just being upset like he can't really let a joke hang for a minute longer where he, there's not something really funny at the end of yeah, it yeah yeah and it's and i get it it's one it's a style thing not everyone can do it and two he just he has he's he needs to be in control in certain ways of how he's vulnerable and he just like so he'll talk about how I think there's a part where he goes, you just, being famous used to be good and you guys made it not good, which I yeah. think is where some people are like, oh, who cares? Like that is literally like the least of anyone's problems, but it's the most of his problem. And I do think it's valuable to be like, to hear that perspective. And I think it's incredibly current. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about Bo Burnham's last special where he talks about um, how his main problem is his need for attention. And and that is like actually almost every comedian's main problem, but most comedians don't bring it up because it actually is vulnerable because it is distancing to the audience where you're usually. However, I think what Kevin tapped into and what Bo sort of predicted was we are a generation of people in a time period where we're much more used to performing. Everyone is much more used to performing in some way or another. We we the idea of having a performed self is much clearer because of our digital footprint yeah be it just putting an instagram we're performing what our life is like but also like literally now so many people are on tiktok actually performing comedy and so the idea of being like i thought being famous would be fun i thought knowing people would satisfy me but i am not satisfied there's now there's always another thing like i thought i was rich you know he he's obsessed with this idea that eventually you'll get to a level of being famous yeah. and rich that it will be feel feel comfortable like if you've ever watched the real husbands of beverly hills he was obsessed with like there's there was a few seasons where he just really wanted to be white famous. He wanted to be famous with white people. And then once he got both, then he was going to finally going to be happy. Yeah. And this special has that moment where he goes to Jerry Seinfeld's house. Absolutely. Yes. At the end of the dinner party, Seinfeld came walking out. He was like, nobody go anywhere. You guys are in for a treat tonight. We're going to have some brick oven pizza. Everybody went crazy in the party. What? Oh my God, brick oven pizza. What? <laughs> One lady was like, how many cheeses, Jerry? <laughs> Jerry was like, seven different cheeses, seven different cheeses. <laughs> people went crazy. By the way, all these people were white. These are all fucking white people. They start chanting, bop, 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 bop. The fuck is bop, man? <laughs> bop, bop. Bop, what the fuck is Bop? 
white woman leaned over the table. She was like, it's short for brick oven pizza. I was like, oh, shit. So this is the thing that is hard with Kevin Hart. If you decide, if one decides, I don't hate Kevin Hart, I don't, I don't, I don't hold it against him that he's so successful. I'm just going to take this as it is as best as I can. You see this special and go, wow, this is a really vulnerable, sad special about a guy who can't be happy. And he's so unhappy not working that he created a way for him to do a special. at home. <laughs> yeah, that is the subtext of the special. And I think it's useful that it's in the subtext. I think comedy is an incredibly subtextual art form. And without it, everything would be boring. If you don't like Kevin Hart, yeah. which a lot of people don't, um, for a variety of reasons, people don't like a lot of people who are famous, but also them being famous, you know, makes them even be like, oh, he, people are complaining about how he's a hack or whatever, because he only talks about the same six things. Like every other comedian talks about like 9,000 things. Anyway, <laughs> But if you don't like him for whatever reason, which you're totally inclined to do, it's really hard to like this special because you're like, this is. Nothing. Oh, yes. There's no subtext to this. Incredibly alienating. And um, what you see as him, the thing that he is presenting to you as like, this is the whole in my life, what on the surface it is, this is all of the things that I have, right? And unless you can see him like wrestling with the fact that it is still this hole in his life, it is just a totally it will not work at all like the thing that happens at the end of that Seinfeld joke and then at the end of the special is he all he wants is for people to love him and he literally passes out food at the end of this thing and it is what every college professor knows is I desperately need you to give me a good evaluation (laughs) on for this class right that's the move and it is we recognize that as like um it is a flaunt i have a i have a i have a litter of wood fired pizza oven it is yeah. in my house and i can make that happen for you i am a fairy godmother of a comedian i'm that wealthy but it is just this moment of sheer desperation also and i i look it's 2020 i was sad it made me feel <laughs> sad in a way that i liked oh i think it's i think it's i think you're i think you're for me is correct i think it is regardless of the author's intention you watch it and if you're willing to be like this is an insight of how it's not nice to be famous then i think it's useful um it's an interesting thing to then transition from this Mm -hmm. to um number four which is uh, maria bamford's weakness is the brand which came out on vod um it's sort of like opposite in the same way. I mean, it's like in many ways she's talking about her successes, but it's like they both have brands of like, this is what, where my life is. And I'm going to tell you everything that happens where Kevin has to present everything as somewhat strength. And you read the pain behind it or whatever. Yeah. Maria has to present everything as weakness. It's called weakness is the brand. Even if she is like someone being like, I'm fairly successful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's totally true. Um, and it is a completely different relationship with the performer then when the first thing that they say is like, I, I physically shake when I stand up here mm. on this stage. And when she talks about I mean, I think for, for I don't know why this is the thing that sticks in my head from this um 
Oh, also, there's another actually thing that sticks with that we said there was maybe not a lot of Trump jokes. She does suggest leading Trump into a, oh, bram- yeah. a bramble in this special, which <laughs> I just like the word bramble. And uh, things aren't so good in general. Uh, I don't know if you've <laughs> noticed. We cannot, of course, uh, physically harm the president of the United States, but it is not illegal to lead him into a bramble. (laughs) Some uneven pavement, rocky terrain. Let your deteriorating roads, bridges, and public schools work for us. But, um... Yeah, the the joke that I I thought a lot about um in this in this hour is this thing where she talks about getting asked to give a convocation speech at a college mm-hmm. and it is in part about um herself being famous enough to be asked to give this speech and then also negotiating with her like extremely elderly financial advisor about like how much money she should ask them to pay her um and like that is again the the baseline of not relatable Mm. as far as like celebrity stuff goes but she is able to tell this story in a way that i mean it is hard for me to imagine a more empathetic, humane, self-aware person than Maria. Yeah. And at every single moment, she is stepping back from herself and examining every angle of like, who is this person in this scene? Who am I in this scene? How is this happening? Um, that I think gives you a completely different relationship to her own perspective on like on what this is. She talks about money in a way that makes you also feel like, oh, money is a tool that she is telling us about because she wants us to understand the economics of all of this because it is actually helpful and more powerful for everyone to understand the economics of this than like, I have a pizza oven, you know? <laughs> it's just a very different um, relationship to to money and power and comedy. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that it it is it, it just a totally, you're right, a completely through the looking glass version of that Kevin Hart special. Yeah, there, there's even that moment where someone criticizes her and says something like, you just do this for attention. And yeah, she's like, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is, and, it, and, and I, but I think what is interesting is um, they do tap into simple things, partly because Maria really feels like people don't talk about money and shit. And and she's always found the things that people don't talk about and finds ways to talk about them. And because she loves talking, as much as, like, she loves different types of therapy, she loves self-help, she loves just, like, talking things out. And because she's a virtuoso, if there's anyone, she, I, I, you know, I think she's just, like, the great. She's the great comedian that's working right now. She can just do so much. And every time she does scenes... Everything is a scene and every scene has 9,000 people and she's doing all of them at once and you know who everyone is. And you don't leave track. And it. I think I've liked other specials of her better because it's sort of the, the direction was sort of clearer. But it is just nice being like, she's good at stand up and she's so, and you're just getting so much of it. Um, but yeah, that, that, the, the, the graduation speech, which we talked to before it, became a thing that she she we talked to her after she did it for graduation before she started 
before mm-hmm. she filmed the special. And it was a thing of like, it really bombed when she did it as a speech. Like she did it as a graduation speech, which was essentially a thing. No one liked it. And she doesn't care. Like she's just yeah. sort of like, I have this idea. I had a way of making money. I can write off all these things because I'm doing it as a joke. Like she's just sort of like, Stand up is you really get insight when people are doing it well. You really get insight on people's brains and minds. And hers is so peculiar and so specific, and she's so interested in money—a thing that people either find uncomfortable to talk about or boring to talk about. And she makes it fascinating and 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 whimsical and bizarre and fun, all because she is just remarkable at the gig of yeah. just being herself and just like doing the moving around and. Everything a comedian needs to do, she can do it. Yeah. She's the best. Um, can't, can't, can't wait to see what her uh, quarantine special looks like. Um, Absolutely. On to number three. Mama, I Made It. Yvonne Orgy, HBO. Um, I have discovered that one of the things that I am most impressed by as i think we all naturally are are like the ability to fully embody a completely different yeah. person suddenly um i cannot it's i am most impressed by it because i can't do it to save my life sure. i can't play with my children and pretend to be like little i can hold up the doll and that doll still sounds like me and oh, cares buddy. about the things that i care like like I, I it is the thing that is farthest from me as a person and <laughs> Uh, I can hold it for maybe 20 seconds and then the house of cards collapses every time. Um, And so to have, and so then the thing I am so impressed by to just suddenly be another person, but have it be just a notch different from acting, right? When you are acting, you are that completely different character and the person who is you is gone and you don't have your perspective anymore and everything about that argument is erased. And what Yvonne Orji can do throughout this special is to be herself, be completely herself as a person, as like talk about like clarity of view, perspective. A lot of that comes from her... Um, you know, thinking through her childhood and her heritage and and all of this, but she can like on a on just a immediate knife's edge flip to be a completely different character who she can hold within the perspective of this joke that she is telling, and she can do it with like three different people and juggle back and forth between them. Without losing the momentum of yeah. like, what is the end goal of this? What is the point that I am trying to make about this person as I am embodying this person? Um, and it is just, you know, so de- just sheerly delightful for me yeah. to watch somebody do it as well as she does. He was like, ah, money, money, money. <laughs> Nigga, we got this. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock like, no, we don't. Hurry up. Like, it's like, okay, okay, okay. Ah. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Listen, 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 listen. When a hoe knows that you got a girl, right, right, okay. And she don't even care about nigga. She still be trying to holler. What is she?
that's, that's where we're going with this? When a hoe knows you got a, so not parched. Not, there is a drought and thus. <laughs> and me and my masters in public health, I'm like, um, inconsiderate, selfish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't think of a more joyous special, really. Like, she just yeah. has so much fun. The audience has so much fun, and you can captures it. It's very hard to capture yeah. audience energy in specials. It's really hard. We'll talk about the next special we'll talk about is also an attempt to capture audience energy, but in the exact opposite way. But she really, you know, we, there's vision. Artists have certain visions and they have different things they have vision over. And she had a vision for the special, a partly material, but partly the like, I'm going to dress like this and it's going to feel like this and wear these, this outfit. And the background's going to look like this. And ultimately, she knew the vibe she was going for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about timeliness, uh, not topicality, but timeliness, because obviously the special is just sort of about her experience. And, and, but, you know, I can't remember the exact timeline, but it, I remember speaking to her and is, is after the, the, the murder of George Floyd and all the protests that were happening, the special came out and I spoke to her around that time. And what it did speak to, is what she's she she hoped at the moment, which is sort of like I wanted to capture Black Joy as how, how she put it, but to then when it came out it was like this felt much more necessary. Yeah, because I think it was easy for the media to just be like everything is terrible off this and the experience is is awful, and I think it was it was such a relief to have someone have this much fun and really share the experience in in a in, in a real way. And that is a thing that comedy can do. And like, it can literally be relief and it can be in release. Yeah. And that is timing. And that is like a different sort of timing than we think of when we think of timing. But it's partly like, you can't control when a special comes out and the mood it is, but it came out at a time where I, it felt so vital. Yeah. And is so in, in, um, incredibly linked to that time for the people that I, I imagine who saw it at that time. Yeah, a hundred percent. I watched it a little bit before because I had a, I had a screener, and so it was sort of just as lockdown was happening was yeah. when I was when I watched it. And even though we had not, you know, nationally moved into this huge like Black Lives Matter revolution that happened this summer. It still it was it was instead at this point moment where it felt like the curtain was just coming down on the whole world and watching it was it was like staring into the brightest light I had seen in months watching yeah. this thing, even outside of the rest of the context that was happening. Um, and at the time, I will say I was cranky in the review that I wrote about the like documentary insertions. Yeah. And I still I I under I still am cranky about it because I do not because I because sh the the bright light that mm -hmm. I was staring at was her right, and what she was trying to do was like reflect some of that yeah, back yeah. onto the world that was around her, which I completely understand her desire to do. I would like to see that as its own project. Yeah, but here it just was like I don't want you to pull me away from the thing that is just like this beaming orb in front of me right um and yeah I mean it, it just if it's something that uh and just so much yeah, energy yeah it's something of like it'd be useful if they 
I mean, this is the thing of like it being on HBO and not like it'd be useful, like if there were companion pieces, but not interspersed because she didn't. Yes. It, it, the, she had such an ability to build momentum. And like, I understand part of that was then she's able to spill that momentum energy to these things. But it, like, I do think in the same way with the Patton Oswald thing, that second special allowed you to learn more and deeper understanding of him. But it ultimately did not distract from what he was doing. And I right. understand. But you know, this is what you she, she want to do. I mean, it was funny. Those parts were funny, but again, oh it's yeah, like, it was. There were times where you're like, I don't want to. I'm here, man. I like <laughs> you did the impossible thing of making me feel like I'm in this theater space. I'm in this don't room. Don't take me away. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So to now to talk about a similar feeling in the exact opposite way at number two, Nate, a one man show by Natalie Palomides, Netflix. My ex. She, uh, she just broke up with me. And I asked her everything. I asked her before I kissed her. I asked her before I ate her pussy. Damn. I miss that tuna casserole. I, uh, I even asked her to, uh, take my Gam Gam's ring. But she said no. It is the thing that I hope that people look at this list the most and think, huh, what's that? And then watch it. Sure, yeah. I, I... It is not number one for reasons that we'll talk about in a second, but it is. It, it, I'm not. It's largely because I'm not allowed to give things ties. <laughs> That's what, um, but what what Nate feels like to me is just this complete terror of being in the audience and realizing that audience participation is happening a thing mm. that i am truly deeply like it scares me so much yeah, yeah of course and i watched this netflix special and i thought how is it possible that she is still creating that sense even though i am sitting on my sofa right yeah. like it was just um an unbelievable feat of destabilization that she manages to do. I think um, I've told you this before, but one of the things that the one of the ways that this show works is Nate comes roaring out on stage, this like clown, like man who rips just to explain and, those yeah. who have not seen it or listened to my episode with her. Natalie is a, sketch improv clown comedian in LA. She did the show where she is Nate, a uh, man with a mustache and, and chest a Buffalo hair. print jacket and, and chest hair taped on or like yeah. and we've, glued when, or something. Glued on. Yeah. When he's, he used to be drawn on, but <laughs> like on her bare chest and she's wearing camo pants and he's sort of like an embodiment of he is suffering from the the uh, living under toxic masculinity. He is not an embodiment of it. He is a he's the embodiment of the struggle against it. Yes, yes. Um, and so, and then he interacts with the audience. He interacts with the audience constantly. a lot. Yes. And the moment that's the like smallest moment in this that I was so immediately taken with is 
a very stupid joke where Nate goes out into the audience and then you realize that the way that this audience participation is working because it is also this elaborate and fascinating uh, consideration of like how consent works Mm. is that Nate is going to make you play along with this game and you have to be characters in it that you don't fully understand. And so Nate picks out a couple and um, happens to say like, hey, like, what's your name? And some woman in the audience says, oh, my name is Helen. And Nate says, oh, that's funny. My ex-girlfriend's name was Helen, but she pronounced it Helene. Huh, that's funny. So then Nate asks this person in the audience a bunch of other questions about herself. Oh, that's weird. My ex is from there. My ex worked there. And then it builds up to this joke where Nate asks this woman in the audience to mime like she's doing a blowjob. <laughs> And then she says, no, I'm not doing that. And then Nate can say, oh, Helene, my yeah. ex? And first of all, it's perfectly constructed because whatever this person does, yeah. it doesn't matter what the person exactly. does. Yeah, yeah. It will still play. But also it is like we all walked into this trap that Nate set and now we are here and we cannot get out. And we don't. But we sort of said yes, but we said yes to being in this place. We walked into the theater. We could leave, but we're also caught here in a way that's really uncomfortable to leave. And, like, this is the entire point of Nate as, like, trying to think through all of the choices that we make that end us up in uncomfortable places. All of the social order that happens all of the the like toxic masculinity is a thing femininity is a thing all of the pressures that are consciously and subconsciously acting on us all the time um yeah it it is yes that is my favorite part of the show yeah it's um what the special does is blows up the most maligned part of stand-up specials at least over the last however years which is the audience cutaway right so the audience cutaway has there's been a war against audience cutaways for the last 10 years as soon as like comedians started having control over their specials they've been like no audience cutaway and it makes sense because the stand-up is like when you're watching a special when you're in the theater or you're in the club you're watching the comedian so why you're not looking at but that's not true one you do look at other people you absolutely do so like that that is a fun but ultimately you can tell they're fake like you're like oh it's an audience reaction and and that falseness really hits comedians wrong but what what natalie does and what the directors um dr brown does is like the entire shows that like even when she spoke to me she was like i wish we had more because it's like it it one, she needs audience participation, but she also needs you to feel like how they're feeling. And we talk, you know, there's a part where she says a joke and the audience, she cut to an audience member not liking it, which is like not a thing you see. But it it underlines something that um, I think a lot of the sort of audience and comedian don't like to talk about a lot, which is sort of the audience is performing too. Yeah. And it's for that show, you need to perform, right? You need the audience to literally get on stage at times, but you need everyone else to sort of like play along with sort of being uncomfortable with it, right? At any moment, people are like, wait, all of this is fake, but no one does it because they're, they are in it. And that allows yeah. you to be in it as well and determine, like, as you said, like, what are the things that are you are doing you had choice over? And 
what are things that make you uncomfortable and what is your relationship with being uncomfortable? What are things that are uncomfortable and okay? What are things that, and there's no answers to sort of any of it. There mm-hmm. sort of is a a red herring of some sort of like bait and switch, which is there is one moment where she goes, what happens here? And then people have different answers. But that is like not what the show is about. And if anything, no. that's the point. The only thing there is sort of some answers to. The rest is sort of like what you leave with it. Even if you don't like it, you talk about it. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm completely, I completely was won over by this show that was just forcing you to really think, which is really hard to do. Like to really make, there's no way you can leave that special and be like, Mm -mm. got it, cool. (laughs) Then what would you have thought? Yeah. I would love to know like what was in the brain. I'm sure somebody walked out of that show was like, oh yeah, got that. Check. I would love to know, like, what the check was after, you know, yeah, like, that what person, that's... <laughs> I, I can't wait to meet that person who just took it as it. He's like, got it, cool. Awesome. What do you think? He's like, I don't know. I mean, like, they have to, like, it's like, no, I, I, you'd have to, like, get it out of them. It would be the most fascinating person in the it world. Would, like, it, it would be really fascinating to talk to. And I think, I think um, discomfort is a good place to transition to our number one, um, which is End Times Fun, Mark Marin, Netflix.com. Yeah. Yes, it is a special about Mark Marin being uncomfortable often throughout the I mean, he sort of foregrounds his own grumpiness and crankiness and um, the, the fact that the world is falling apart. And just as a as a simple, not particularly interesting blanket statement, it was. It's a show about the apocalypse in an apocalyptic year. And the combination of that, of his performance of it, of um, the way that he sort of blends together the particular kind of apocalypse that he is going for by the end here, where it is stupid and like blending like everything is coming together at the same time in a way that is obscene and full of like like over the top on the nose pop culture references (laughs) but also feels like actually those probably are the biggest things happening in some like it it just to me was the most 2020 yeah of course feeling that i came out literally like the week in which the shutdown started yeah and it will always be the thing that i think about. like nate i love nate nate could probably have come out last year and i would have been like wow this year and it could probably come out next year and i would be like wow nate and this is the one that's like wow 2020 it it did a thing you that you don't see as much anymore and you don't realize it until um, you really look at every other special that comes out, and um, and Mark was sort of a victim of this as well, which is sort of like um, comedy got on a certain role um, of like honesty and like we're just gonna tell you as it is, hmm. and and we can talk about this or that about what is truth and whatever, but like ultimately there was a certain sort of like grumpy earnestness that like took over comedy. Where mm-hmm. everyone had to sort of tell you what it is, and it was sort of idealistic, idealistic in certain ways, and it, but it's ultimately just sort of like person-driven, in my experience, driven, and 
And, you know, like, and it made sense as sort of an extension of like what we were told was like what great comedy was, which is sort of like bearing your soul and like finding your inner truth. And it's all like an extension of like Lenny Bruce into Richard Pryor into whatever. And right. But that is like not how that is not the only comedy that has happened. Yeah. And well, and like all kinds of authenticity, it is always fake in its own way. Yes, exactly. That is the fundamental thing, which is like authenticity as an idea is like a is an invention of the baby boomers that they've like <laughs> fell in love with yeah but the thing like there's also like the george carlin world of comedy and bill hicks and the other parts of lenny bruce or and i'm not even saying like i love any of them but i do think it's like this is a thing that you don't see anymore that is like a valid form which is like a, an assault on the audience yeah. a something that's cynical that's like grotesquely cynical that is not even trying to be like this is who i am in my day-to-day life this is who i am at my worst moments yeah. but like we have we we have worst moments and it's like fine to capture that the thing that is such an achievement about it is it's hard to do cynicism it now in the same way without just feeling cheap and easy and like cynical in the way of lazy, like yes. cynical in terms of like, oh, I can just like say words and make people upset. Well, cynical in a way that punctures rather than having its own idea, right? Yeah. We think of cynicism, like the laziest form of cynicism is like, I see the thing that you like and I tell you that it sucks. Exactly. And the kind of cynicism that he's doing here is so much more... Um, it is so much more stemming from his own perspective of what the world is rather than just saying, rather than just sheer nihilism, which is not to say that nihilism is not a part of this. It is. But like by the time he gets to this end and it's just this fantastic image of the end of the, like it is the opposite of just saying like your thing sucks. (laughs) It is, it is like a, like a huge church fresco of cynicism that is, a spectacle in and of itself rather than just taking from you. Yes. Yeah, I think there's... Um, I've been recently listening... I, I, as I said, I was reading George Carlin's book and then I was listening to him some of his stuff. And he has a ending that is like kind of similar where it's sort of like he's imagining the apocalypse and how it starts. And it'll start with this one earthquake. And, he, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and, and this is nothing against George Carlin, but George Carlin... Um, one was incredibly precise and every word was like very, so it became a, it comes off as a bit of an exercise Mm -hmm. and which is fine, but not of the moment. Like what makes this feel like how we figured out how to do like cynicism of this style in a way that feels contemporary is the sort of like joyous over the topness of it and how stupid some of the references are and how, how much he delights in it. Yes. Is rare. To do when you're doing material, like, I think it's such a very, it's actually like one of my favorite things that happens, which is sort of like, there is no meaning, but we, I, we imbue meaning into things. And like, I am saying like, here's nihilism, but I think that me telling you it matters. So as a result, this is not an, it is a, it is a nihilist text presented with meaning. And as a result, it is like. As the special, like, truly is the name of the special. It's, like, almost too on the nose. Yeah. It's, like, it is, like, this is an apocalypse special, but it's, like, a romp. Yeah. A hundred percent. It is... It is nihilism, except you can tell that at the core he believes that it matters that everyone's in this room together yeah, yeah. watching this thing. And in that, 
in that way, it is also like Nate um, and like a lot of things on this, but like like Yvonne Orji as well, um, this testament to like live performance as this amazing thing that can happen, right? As this transformative <laughs> thing, which is this horrible place to end in this particular moment in the world. Yeah, 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 but like, course. but there it is. Um, and so, yeah, that is... It's just I the image of him getting off of that stool at the end and like falling on his knees and just the whole crowd just falling into this hole that he has created of this of this story. Um, I think it is it is the summary of like what what it felt like to watch the world fall apart. Well, I, I think, you know, what happens. I mean, Mike Pence fills his mouth with Jesus cock. I mean, there's no <laughs> way he's not going to do that. <laughs> And, and he can't believe how amazing this day is. Like, Judgment Day worked out far better than anything he even assumed could possibly happen. So he's just blowing Jesus. And then something weird happens. Like, Iron Man's sort of like, I, you know, I'm not even sure that I'm supposed to be here anymore. And then something weird happens. The, the, the Jesus dick keeps getting bigger and bigger, like to the point where it, might, it locks up Mike's jaws. He's like, oh, and it's starting to hurt him. And it just blows through the back of his head and it kills him. And Iron Man's like, what the fuck is happening? So he just launches into the air. And all of a sudden, Jesus' dick is huge. It's shooting fire. And he's swinging Pence around until his body falls off. So now he's just got this Pence head cock ring, you know, and he's just spraying fire everywhere. And Iron Man's like, holy what Jesus what's going on I do think it's poignant to be like ultimately stand-up comedy that celebrates that fact that you could be in a room with people and laugh is going to feel most poignant in a year where you can't do that it's where we are it's a funny joke really um so as we wrap up um what do you hope for the future of next year's list not in terms of who or what but like ultimately like what do you hope for the things that you'd be watching, assuming people are allowed to find ways to film specials. Yeah. Right? Where I think we're like about tapped in terms of like American specials that have been pre-taped, but assuming there's a way for people to somehow film something, what do you sort of hope? Um, yeah, what do you hope? I know that there are people out there who have been working on other ways of doing something that feels not like being in a room together with everyone's laughing, but at least like you are doing some kind of comedy and people are responding to you. Outdoor shows, versions of live things that are happening over the internet, like for for all that it is particularly devastating for comedy, it is also a moment that asks people like an evolutionary cataclysm to come up with adaptive ways that can mm. be really fascinating. And I am hoping like my most optimistic hope is that somebody figures out a truly hysterical way to do some kind of outdoor or virtual or something that just not only um, not only survives, but like truly innovates on yeah. like what they were forced to do in this last year. I believe it is possible. I believe it is possible. Yeah, I think so. I believe in it. That will be my goal as well. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. It's always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> talk to you soon. 
That's it for another episode of Good One. You can read Catherine's ranking on VultureFrickin.com. Follow Catherine on Twitter at KVanAaron. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. God Mashrikashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, so you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Have a good one. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Teen Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Teen Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.